What's up, friendos? It is Fantasy Baseball today. It's not just the Welsh. It is not just Scott White. The immaculate, incredible, big return, drumroll, Adam Azer is back in the house, and he picked the relief pitcher episode. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Azer, what's up, buddy? I can't believe that you didn't know you were ripping off No Country for Old Men. I was not ripping off of it. You were like, oh, it's in No Country for Old Men? Of course it is. That's where Frendo is from. Nobody's ever said Frendo. <laughs> I have been saying Frendo for weeks upon weeks. Is Javier it like a Bartum Southwest thing? Is that, is that something they say in that part of the country? No, nobody says it. I tend to do oh. things that nobody does whatsoever, so I was trying to feel like it was unique. I, Adam, you went through the same thing. There was a, a time period where you were like, how do I end this podcast? You're always trying to find your little niches. So I'm like, hey, I'll just rock with Frendo. Immediately, Scott's like, hey, are you Javier Bardem? And I'm like, oh, well, all right. So, hi, people. Hi, sentient beings of Earth. I'm so happy to be here. This is very cool. Uh, Adam Azer, Scott White, and myself, we are in the house to talk about relief pitching. Azer, have, I mean, have you taken a breath? You've been kind of a busy man. We're excited to have you back here, though. I'm very happy. I, uh... I will not be flashing anyone, even though this is a baseball show, and that happens in baseball now. I guess oh. those girls figured out a way to make baseball more exciting, so good for them. Um, I, uh, Did you hear yeah, their whole deal, too? I, I mean, saw, about said, not the top. But, yeah. <laughs> I saw their whole deal. Uh, I saw that she said she was trying to raise awareness for breast cancer. She raised awareness for something, but here is what was amazing to me. This is this is the most amazing thing of the whole thing. If anyone does, you should probably know at some point. These th- these women were able to um, sneak this into a broadcast, and somebody found them flashing, and they were banned for life from baseball. They're banned. They got the letter from baseball, and I'm totally sure they're going to be able to track the the anywhere they go. I'm sure they can't just walk into a baseball stadium with a ticket. But there, so there's this magazine, and they have a Patreon. You know, and I'm familiar. I have a Patreon. They made a hundred and twenty five thousand dollars a month on their Patreon. What are I can think of things they're doing on their Patreon. I can't think of anything that would generate a hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars per month. Wow. Well, now I know how they got those tickets, man. Because those had to be pretty expensive, right behind home plate, game five. Look at Scott's face, Adam. Look <laughs> at Scott's face right now. You've never <laughs> seen someone more baffled at the end. What What is the most baffling process of this to you, Scott? I, I don't know what a patreon is so I'm okay. still... <laughs> <laughs> all right there you go that's perfect <laughs> you're, lucky, you're lucky you podcast for cbs scott if you didn't you'd have a patreon <laughs> you'd be someone like me you'd be like me and i'm looking i'm like oh they got one hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars. yeah i know the world series has been nothing short of exciting through the full run something hopefully we may even be tackling here shortly and anything we want to talk about in this episode but this episode is designed for us to talk about relief pitching. I have a bad tendency, and tell me if you guys do this. I feel like you don't because I look at the rankings. The minute I see RP and I think of relief pitching, I will stupidly say closer, and I will think closer, and that is where my brain immediately goes. But oh, that I, don't, is, 
You don't think that's, that's not stupid. Okay. No, that's, that's not stupid. Like I, I understand that as, uh, as sort of the, the role evolves and more managers, uh, kind of go to less of a set closer. There are more timeshares in that role. There are more, uh, you know, kind of ace reliever roles instead of closers. I mean, you're still primarily in standard leagues going after saves here. That's really what the position exists for. And saves are, you know, that's those come from closers. So I, I get on the one hand, I get what you're saying. But on the other hand, I think it's natural and not necessarily wrong to do that. Yeah. And I want to add, I think the committee thing might be a little bit overblown because I'm going to give you a stat that I don't know if it's actually correct but I think it's mm. correct, and if it's incorrect, it's just barely off. Here are the, uh, the number of 30 save closer, 30 save seasons, I guess, we've had over the last three seasons. So players with 30 saves, there you go. 2017, 11. 2018, 11. 2019, anybody watch Stranger Things? 11. 11. I actually have an interesting note on here, too, on uh, one of the sheets that I just realized I didn't even share with Adam because you haven't been here for so long. I didn't even think to share the sheet I had, but I had an interesting one where I had the 11 closers had 30 plus saves this year. Four would be of the undrafted or the back end variety of a type of closer you would consider. Will Smith might be the one caveat where if you wanted to like argue with me, I'm not going to sit and try to make a case of why he wasn't. But uh, the rest of the guys, there's multiple that were of the complete undrafted variety. Alex Colome, Ian Kennedy, and Taylor Rogers. And those, I mean, we're talking, there's a consistent 30-30-30, but you're close to, I mean, what's the percentage there? Like 35% somewhere, 35 to 37% of those are of the undrafted variety, which always begs and brings back, I think, an age-old question of when do you start paying for saves? The adage is you don't pay for saves. But that's what's so interesting also about this conversation we're going to have, because bringing it back to my stupidity, I look at RP and I just go saves. But there are so many people now, and rightfully so, they're taking in the idea of of uh, ratioing with relief pitchers. Relief pitchers. They're not trying to save, uh, chase the saves. Sometimes you can get them cheaply. Sometimes you're even playing around with the amount of starting pitchers, especially probably in a roto format. And you're building a roster with relief pitchers that are giving you ratios. So that's kind of like a mental change. I still think in 2019 to 20, we have to keep making that relief pitcher is not necessarily just about saves. And Scott, your list that people can get over on uh, CBS right now kind of shows that. Yeah, I mean, there are, well, there's a Sparp on it, right? There's Carlos Carrasco makes an appearance there. Jesus yes. Lazardo. There's a couple of Sparps on it, which are, you know, that distinction in, in Roto is is not really relevant because you're just filling pitcher spots, right? What was that word you um, used? Sparks? Sparps. Sparps. Starting pitcher <laughs> as relief pitcher. Dude, <laughs> can, we can, we can <laughs> tell you're new to this podcast. <laughs> I, I must be new to baseball. You just flippantly dropped Sparps, and I was just like, yeah. okay, cool. And I was like, no, nah, I'm not going to go with that. Explain <laughs> and talk to me a little bit more. Okay, you're Sparps. Okay, please continue. Sparps, yes. Um, so, yeah, that distinction isn't as noteworthy in Roto because you're just filling pitcher spots, generally speaking. They're not divided between starting pitcher and relief pitcher. So whatever role they're being used at in real life, you know, eligibility isn't, doesn't really come into play there. So that's more of a points league, uh, a, a matter to distinguish there. Um, and, and obviously ratios are something that's only going to matter in those categories leagues. Like in a, in a points league, you're not drafting for ratios. You really are just pursuing saves if you're not going after a SPARP. So those are mm -hmm. two things we should probably bring up up front. 
But otherwise, every pitcher I have ranked here in my top 20, other than Carrasco and Lazardo, who I mentioned earlier, is who I expect to get saves for his team next year. There are some obviously questionable calls, but uh, that, you know, that obviously was the biggest factor when ranking them. And I guess that would, that would almost come to maybe where I would be challenging the conversation to be if you're doing a list uh, that is predominantly designed around saves, then why put even pitchers that qualify at relief pitcher unless you start to give the consideration of ratio type of uh, relief pitchers? And that would spark me to ask you, not spark, that would sp- uh, spark me to ask you, do you think there's any ratioed relief type of pitchers like we've seen with guys like Ryan Presley and whatnot that deserve to be in an upper tiered conversation with relief pitchers? Because, I mean, again, you're saying these are saves, but there are three guys on here, two specifically that would not be save players. Carlos Martinez is a little bit of a question as long as they let him keep the role. Do you think there's any um, relief pitchers and ratios that deserve that? Hold on, I just want to jump in for Scott because, you know, this is important for people who don't play in points leagues, and that's why Scott has... Carlos Carrasco yes. and other sparps on there. So, you know, it's it's uh, relief pitcher is the one position that is just so, so, so different depending on what format you're in. It's a completely different strategy if you're in points leagues versus categories leagues or a roto league. So I just want to point that out, you know, that Scott has Carrasco as his number six, I think, relief pitcher. I, I would argue that if Carlos, Carlos Carrasco is right, he should be the number one relief pitcher off the board in 2000. 2000- yeah. 17, he scored 100 more fantasy points. I think actually 2018, he scored 100 more fantasy points than Josh Hader scored in 2019. So the best of Carlos Carrasco is like a million times better than Josh Hader. Uh, we just have to know if he's if he's right going into 2020. I'm but, spoiling uh, my number one here, but actually Carlos <laughs> Carrasco in my in my points specific rankings, and this is just kind of an imperfect mishmash that we're talking about here on the podcast. In my points specific rankings, I do have Carrasco third. So uh, yeah, and obviously if there were, if there were no concerns about how his uh, how his recovery from leukemia goes, then yeah, he would have a strong case for number one. Uh, getting back to Chris's question, though, about ratio happy relievers who may not be in line for saves, some you know some on my list we just don't know about, and we'll get into those later. Uh, but Gio- Giovanni Gallegos of the Cardinals, I he don't I don't think he's going to be in line for saves from the start, uh, but he would be among the best there. Nick Anderson for the Rays, who showed just huge strikeout potential. After coming over from the Marlins in a deadline deal, he would be up there. I mean, Ryan Presley would still be up there, who you mentioned. The thing is, like, this is part of what makes it such a weird position because while it's true, there is tons of turnover here among who end up being uh, a team's lead save source relative to expectations coming into the season, you still ultimately want the guy getting the saves. So I think if you're going after a ratios guy, it's because you can see him coming into saves at some point. And I do think that's a possibility for a Nick Anderson and for a Giovanni Gallegos. And I would say that Seth Lugo was a huge player for me in the second half. I completely changed my strategy in the second half. It was the biggest takeaway I had from the season was I I was struggling in our Roto League. I was like seventh or eighth place at the All-Star break. And I just stopped starting starting pitchers. I I had a few. I had like Giolito. Uh, you know, I had like three or four, I think Strasburg that I really liked, but typically I would go six starters, three closers every single year in this nine pitching, nine pitcher pitching staff Roto League. But I decided, okay, look, I got like three closers. Uh, only one of them I actually drafted. 
And the rest of the guys, I'm just going to find like really good relief pitchers with good ratios. Lugo was one of them. Baez was one of them. And I climbed. I finished fourth. So uh, I had a really good second half, and that was a big strategy. I think if they change the baseball and the starting pitchers can be better, then maybe we don't have to do that. But starting pitching is just bad now. Yeah. Uh, so that, that, sort of, that sort of changed my well, approach. I that, tried you know, to do that, too. And I ended up with a lot, a lot of Gallegos doing that. But part of the problem, too, was just because the ball was juiced and, and because it would, there would be this barrage of home runs yeah, out of nowhere that could completely warp a pitcher's stat line, particularly when it's a reliever and there are so few innings to kind of even things out. Uh, the guys I kept going after then got crushed. There actually weren't. I was surprised at how many, uh, how few relievers, apart from the ones who became closers, really excelled with ratios. It was a much shorter list than I expected it to be. Uh, Trevor May of the, I'm sorry, Tyler Duffy actually of the Twins. Trevor May was decent too, but Tyler Duffy was the one who had the good ratios there. Andres Munoz so showed some potential for the dot uh, for the Padres, but it was you know he was late season call up, so that. Yeah, he didn't get a lot of a ton of innings to back it up, but those were a couple of other guys. What's really interesting about this was the first portion, which we just talked about, that league specific. This position can change wildly. Second off, it's so unique. The closer, you know, the save closer position with air quotes. It's so unique to itself because there's just not another spot. You know, a starting pitcher, I, I suppose you can't even take wins as their one special spot or strikeouts, or maybe they can hold the RA or whip. Same thing with hitting. Maybe there's a stolen space, stolen base specialist. But what I'm getting at is the closer spot can single-handedly with their one little thing, they can take it away. They get those saves. That's the one thing that they can do that other people can't do. And being on the wire and being aware on the wire is maybe more important if you want to chase saves, if that's going to be a strategy going into the season more than anything else. Look at a guy like Liam Hendricks. Liam Hendricks, who ends up getting the position and ends up having a fantastic season when it's all said and done. 100-plus strikeouts. He's one of those guys. 25 saves, an under-2 ERA, and an under-1 whip. If you scour properly, you can get the job done, which takes me to a it takes me to the question that we probably need to ask before we even talk about the ranks. Is in 2020, how are you going to approach saves? How are you going to approach closers? Because there's so many different camps. And let's assume we're not talking points where we can just, you know, put Carlos Carrasco. We're actually chasing and we want saves. Are you spending in the top end like people did this last year with guys like Edwin Diaz and Aroldis um, Chapman and uh, Trinan? Or are you going to take the middle ground or are you going to just play it? I'm taking the back end and I'm going to pick up off the wire because all of those can work in different capacities. So, Adam, how about you? Where are you going to tackle 2020 with saves? Well, my, my one of my worst teams, I drafted Edwin Diaz and Blake Trinan. <laughs> one of my better teams, I drafted Felipe Vasquez, Jordan Hicks, Calvin Herrera, Andrew Miller, and Ryan Brazier and just played the waiver wire. So I, uh, I'm going to do that. I'm going to probably be in the mid-range. I like Hector Neris a lot. That's one guy that I think Scott is a little too low on in the rankings. He basically has been a stud for three and a half of the last four seasons. He got demoted in 2018, came back and was incredible. And, um, you know, his last 27 games of 2019, Neris had a one ERA, 34 strikeouts and 27 innings. So he'll be on my teams. I'm going to try for an Edwin Diaz bounce back. I think a new baseball could help him. I mean, there's some speculation. That's why his slider was not good this year because of the seams. So, uh, you know, he's too talented. I think he can bounce back, and he still had a career-high K rate. 
Uh, I don't see myself playing with the with the elites. Maybe one, maybe one. If I'm in a league where I want to start three, but for the most part, I'm gonna be pretty patient. And um, I tend to focus on job security. You know, that's a big part for me is job security when I draft guys because saves are just too unpredictable. So uh, yeah, that's something I take a look at. But I'll be I'll be in the mid to late tier at at, uh, at closer. Or Scott, are you gonna tackle the top end? Would are you going to battle that? Were you willing to dip your toe in in the top 100 <laughs> of drafting closers? I don't think so. Uh, what Adam was saying, I mean, the I think the consensus top two coming into the season were Edwin Diaz and Blake Trinan, and they both failed spectacularly, at least when it came to, well, I mean, they did just regardless of, by any standard, they failed spectacularly. And the thing is, relief pitcher has always been this extremely volatile position. I mean, the the turnover, we talked about that. But the, but there was a long run there where the high-end guys remained pretty much the same. You had Kimbrell, you had Chapman, you had Jansen, you had Wade Davis for a while. And it was surprisingly stable at the top. And then the year we go to Edwin Diaz and Trinan, because some of these others have fallen off, you see what happens. I think we're back now to, I see basically nine pitchers that I feel really good are going to be their team's closers for sure. That's absolutely who they want in their role. And they're good pitchers. And there's only nine of them. And so you'd think you'd want to pay up for those nine considering. But I I don't because after seeing what happened to Edwin Diaz last year and being reminded of how much volatility there's always been at that position, that just seems like a bad use of early round currency. It's hard. Yeah. yeah, it's it's hard to wrap your head around, too. I, mean, I was looking in uh, one of my CBS leagues and just standard five by five, the Rotowire Dynasty Invitational I do. There was one closer, one relief pitcher that would qualify in that range. If you don't count, obviously, Carrasco wasn't in there, but um, only one in the top 100. And that was Josh Hader. And that's going to take to a bigger conversation about the ranks. There's a lot of stuff in here. I even want to tackle one guy that just a simple offseason managerial change that they made could bring really big returns for their team, whether it's the starting pitching and the closing. So I'm going to tackle that with you, Scott, as well. So let's get into the ranks here. But I have to tell you first about some dear friends of ours. SeatGeek promo code FANTASY. Friends, do you feel like ticketing websites just want to make it hard for you at every step of the way? It's as if they're so big, they can get away with not caring about the customer experience. So what if the site's annoying and doesn't have the events you want? Give me a break. The real question here, though, is how easy could it be if they actually cared? Well, SeatGeek... They prove there is a better way. You can search sports, live music, comedy, and more. SeatGeek has the tickets you're looking for all in one place. They built the fastest way to find tickets so you can stop searching for the perfect seat and start enjoying it. Why is SeatGeek better than the rest? They're pulling together millions of tickets from all over the web. Then they rate each deal on a scale of 1 to 10. I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and it's by far the fastest and easiest way to find tickets. You know what I found on there the other day? Hey, babe, Dane Cook. Pay-per-view, 20 minutes, let's go. November 12th out here, Comerica Theater in Phoenix, Dane Cook. Tell it like it is. I have no idea what happened to Dane Cook, but I'm kind of interested to go find out. And if you want to find out, SeatGeek, they're going to give you $10 off your first purchase just by using our promo code. Download the SeatGeek app today and use promo code FANTASY for $10 off your first purchase. That's promo code FANTASY, $10 off your first purchase. All right, so we are looking at Scott White's ranks. If you want to check him out, I told you they're over on CBS. You can even just search Scott White ranks, and you're going to get it right up there, and you can click the RP ranks, and you can kind of almost follow along. It's an accompanying piece here. Number one, Scott, I am going to just give you the throne here. Talk to us about your number one closer on the board and why Adam is going to get mad. 
I don't know why Adam's going to get mad. I guess he's not confident that the Brewers really want Josh Hader closing. Did he look at his Twitter, uh, maybe? No, it's just Carrasco. That's all. I just think. Oh, you want a Carrasco. Uh, Hader for sure in Roto. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it has to be Hader. I, the thing is, he was kind of forced into the closer role because Knebel got hurt at the start of the year and Jeremy Jeffers was hurt too. And so Craig Council finally did the thing he always avoided doing, which was putting his best reliever in the closer role. But it still wasn't a totally traditional, totally traditional usage in that sometimes he came in for more like a hold than a save, and sometimes he had the two-inning uh, appearance and got a save that way. But in the end, Hayter finished with the third most saves in baseball, and his strikeouts were far and away the most among relievers. Well, actually, one guy was close, and we'll get to him later, but Hayter was number one with 138 strikeouts. And uh, even if he winds up being... You know, closing option B for this team again because of something that happens in the offseason. The ratios are so stellar that at least in categories leagues, he's still going to be a top five reliever probably. Do you guys have worries about any of the inconsistencies? Because from July to August is it's kind of what you're talking about. There was like this floating thing that was going on using other guys. He only had seven saves in July and August combined. And he had a th- almost, it was just essentially 3.97 ERA in July and a 5.79 ERA in August. It wasn't enough for him to completely lose a role because then in September he went off. He had 10 saves in September, which held really tight. Are you worried about inconsistency at all? Because we're back. This is the Edwin Diaz situation right here. This is the guy that did the big numbers. You're going to have to pay the cost for this year, but he exhibited some inconsistencies. Is that going to be in the back of your mind? I don't see it the same way because he's three straight seasons with a 2.62 ERA or better or lower. That's gone up three straight seasons, but two straight seasons with about 140 strikeouts. I think he's been pretty consistent. Just it's the ebbs and flows of a baseball season. So no, it doesn't bother me for Hater. I, I guess maybe even the better way I should put it when I'm throwing in ERA and whatnot is also the team's commitment to him as the closer. That's a little bit yeah. more of where some of the more of the concerns I have are. Is is the mm-hmm. team going to be committed to him? I think we'll know that going into drafts, kind of, you know. And if we, if we don't know that, if it's unclear, then I don't think he can be the number one closer. I think we need to know. I think we need a statement from Council. He's our closer, uh, and then I assume he'd just keep the job because he's well, awesome. But I if, don't know I, that I even need that much because I don't think Council ever made a statement saying he was the closer this year, right? So I I think Council purposely wants to keep it vague. If they if they go out and get somebody who is like a proven closer with that kind of track record, then I'll be concerned and I'll be lowering Josh Hader in my rankings. But if his best competition is Knebel coming, Corey Knebel coming back from Tommy John surgery, I, I'm going to assume it's status quo. Number two and three were kind of mid-tier. Uh, number three, a little bit higher. But number two on here, you've got Kirby Yates, who led the way with 41 saves this year, was awesome. And then you have Brad Hand, who had 34 saves on the year. That's two and three. Brad Hand probably cost a little bit more. I, th- I saw some preseason ranks that had him right around 100 or inside 100. Kirby Yates, not so much. Uh, Scott, Kirby Yates, Brad Hand, how do you break these two apart? And are they oh, tiered apart? I think apart? there's a clear division. Okay. I think there's a clear division. I, Hater and Yates is tier A at relief pitcher. And then tier B, I have a harder time sorting out, but... Yeah, Yates, I don't think we can really overstate how good he was. His splitter has become probably the most dominant in the game, and it's made him not just a big strikeout pitcher, but good at 
home run prevention too. He led all relievers, not just closers, but all relievers in ERA and FIP. So, you know, whether just traditional measurement or more sophisticated, he was the guy when it came to keeping runs off the board. And I guess it's possible the Padres traded him, but coming off that season, like, Especially if they want to compete, you're not going to go and move yeah. off a of Kirby. Well, Yates that's at this true point. too. I mean, their owners made a big stink about how they need to have results in 2019, so I doubt they're trading Kirby Yates this offseason. And best anyway. thing you can do for a young pitching staff is you can have uh, a dominant uh, bullpen and have a dominant closer. If you're going to have guys like Paddock, if they're going to make long-term commitments to players like Adrian Morion and whoever else they want to bring in on the young side, you're going to want to have a strong bullpen. Adam, do you scoff or roll your eyes? at the narrative where you look at guys like Kirby Yates and Hayter and even Brad Hand, if you want to take those, and specifically Hayter and Yates, and you go, boy, Trinan and Edwin Diaz, those were the top two guys in 2019. And look, we got two new names that are fresh up at the top, and you're probably going to see lots of ranks that are going to have them inside the top 50 or 60. Do you roll your eyes at the narrative of like, yeah, you can't compare one-to-one. You can't compare these guys whatsoever. But it's still cost. No, oh, I agree. I, I don't roll my eyes at it at all because it's just we know that relief pitcher is kind of a fickle, unpredictable position. And Scott mentioned that we had Kimbrell, Jansen, Chapman. We had this group of like really great closers year after year. And they're all at the back end of their careers and all seem to, seemingly getting a little bit worse. And I just like that was a special rare time. So I don't. I don't think I want these guys. I definitely don't want Brad Hand. Yates, I pretty much believe in. Yeah, the splitter changed his career. Brad Hand's had a very good career. He had three straight seasons with a sub-three ERA and more than 100 strikeouts going into this season, but going into 2019. But second half of the year, he had a 540 ERA after the All-Star break. Opponents at 310. And he's on Cleveland, and they, tr- they want to trade everyone. So I don't like that. I just can't trust the, the, uh, the Cleveland Indians to keep Brad Hand. I will almost certainly not have him if he's going as a top five closer. It is an interesting narrative that you can go and look and see what the team does. You know, there's a lot of rumors that popped out this week about uh, the Dodgers and Francesco Lindor. Every other team is kind of linked to Lindor right now. Every team is going to deplete their minor league system for him. And as soon as you start seeing that happen, it's a it's a telltale sign that the Indians are completely moving away. And if Brad Hand were to start the season as the closer, that has to be taken into consideration. Because how many times do we get excited about a closer? He then gets moved off to a team like the Yankees halfway through the season and now he's a setup guy. We don't, you know, it's yeah. not the, the the risk versus reward doesn't pay off there. Now, number four and five, a little bit higher in the ranks. Aroldis Chapman, who you're just talking about, kind of still a steady Eddie. You know, this season, the price you had paid for him, you're not that far off from the return. If anything, he's probably one of the more one-to-one equals of saves. And then number five, Roberto Ozuna, was a popular inside the top 10 player to take. And, you know, results, Scott, do they warrant uh, excitement with Roberto Ozuna with the Astros? And uh, is Aroldis Chapman a oldie but goodie? Yeah, I think if there's one guy I'm at risk of having too low within the top five, it's Ozuna because there there are so many assurances there. The Astros, too low. Uh, yes, at top yes, five, you're I've saying had, too low. I've okay. had a few. Uh, yeah, bad. yeah, but think about this though. Like you're already in this podcast, but yeah. He, well, Scott, I just like. Roberto Osuna had about half as many strikeouts as Kenley Jansen. If you just think about that, Kenley Jansen, oh, sorry, Kenley Jansen, uh, uh, Josh Hader. Josh Hader, yeah. Get my notes. 
Josh Hader had 140. How many? How about 142 strikeouts? Something like that. Josh Hader 138. Yeah. 138. Okay. And and uh, Ozuna had 73. So yep. it's like you cannot. He's very steady and he's got the job security and he's really good. You cannot overlook the fact that he had 73 strikeouts. Second. Well, 73 isn't. It's not so much the 73 is bad. It's just that 138 is. Insane. Well, compared like, to, that's a, compared like, to the other guy, was ten point one k per nine. Okay, but the top, the top ten the closers, level. he has the second lowest strikeouts of anybody in the top ten closers. And if I were to play, you know, one of those reactionary games where I say, "All right, what strikeout n- name do you think of when you think of Ian Kennedy?" You'd say none or low or bad or he sucks. You'd think of any of those words. Ian Kennedy and Roberto Ozuna had the exact same amount of strikeouts this season, and Ian Kennedy pitched two less innings. So, I mean, you know, that's kind of that's kind of a realm you need to consider. I'm actually with Scott. I'm I'm with Adam here because strikeouts are incredibly, incredibly important to me. Six closers with ten or more saves this season had a hundred Ks. Only six closers, ten saves. Six of them had a hundred more Ks. Wow. Only four did it in 2018. Strikeouts are incredibly important, and if you can take advantage of that, you should. Not that you want to kill Roberto Ozuna just because he doesn't strike out major stuff. We don't destroy Zach Granke because he can't, but it is a factor. Well, yeah, yeah but I mean, you got to consider how he had a .88 WHIP. I mean, he doesn't walk anybody. His FIP was three two. Like he's a good pitcher, Ozuna. It's not like he's just lucking into this with, you know, if we're gonna say a ten point one K per nine rate is bad. It's not like he's just lucking into good performances with that. And the thing it goes back to what we were saying at the front. Mainly, what you want here is saves, right? And yeah, and I'm saying Ozuna is, uh, the safest of this top five for saves. I feel like I'd put him ahead of Yates. Even I'd put him ahead of Chapman. Even with Chapman's some of the injuries he's had over the years. So, I mean, Ozuna's going to be closing, and he's going to be closing for the Astros, and that's going to lead to 35-plus saves, I think, pretty easily. I love him in a points league. I love him in a points league. I mean, you could make the case he should be the number... number. Uh, you could make the case that Ozuna should be the number one closer in a points league because the saves are so important. The strikeouts just don't really matter quite as much. It's and just, if... They- He's not as good in that category, that's all. And you're right. I mean, at the end of the day, you want to play super basic strategy for everybody, everybody listening in your head, is go find closers that have stability on massively good teams. And guess what? You're going to walk yourself into some type of consistency with saves, and Roberto Ozuna happens to be on one of the absolute best teams. We are going to take a break here. On the other side, we are going to hit the rest. We're going to hit 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and all the rest of them, but... Our dear Adam Azer has to leave. You're leaving us again. You're creating a complex with everybody, Adam. Thank you for having me on. I will be back. This was fun. I actually didn't realize how much fun I would have talking fantasy baseball right in the heart of fantasy football season. Mm -hmm. So this was awesome. Thank you, guys. All right. Well, thank you, buddy. All right. How often have you felt the stress of debt? It's probably also tied to high-interest credit card bills. They're adding up. But I've got a solution for you. Pay off your credit card balances and save money with a credit card consolidation loan from my friends at Lightstream. Get a rate as low as 5.95% APR with AutoPay, which is much lower than the national average interest rate of over 20% APR. Plus, your rate is fixed, so as rates continue to rise, your low rate not going to budge. And you can even get your money as soon as the day you apply. Lightstream believes that people with good credit deserve a better loan experience. And that's exactly what they deliver. Just for my listeners, apply now to get a special interest rate discount. The only way to get this discount is to go to lightstream.com strike. L-I-G-H-T. 
S-T-R-E-A-M.com slash strike. Subject to credit approval, rate includes 0.5% auto pay discount. Terms and conditions apply and offers are subject to change without notice. Visit lightstream.com slash strike for more information. All right, Scott, it is just you, me, and the listener. Adam came in like a wrecking ball. He was like uh, Miley Cyrus <laughs> in here. He came Miley Cyrus in. You know, yeah. there's going to be a Photoshop of that. Someone's going to gift that. It'll just be uh, and, uh, Miley Cyrus with Adam's face on into the episode. <laughs> but if I remember, wasn't Miley Cyrus on the wreck? Like, yeah, we don't want to see Adam like that. No, that's what someone's going to do. They're going to put oh, his face okay. on Miley Cyrus on the wrecking ball just okay. coming into the episode. But uh, uh, I miss Adam. Adam. Adam is fun to have on here. Mm-hmm. Whatever floats your boat. Yeah, no, Adam's great. Yeah, and everybody, uh, you want to know something else? Nobody is shy about telling me how much they miss Adam. It's my favorite thing on Twitter. (laughs) The amount of, you know how many times I've been tagged in something and the response is, when's Adam coming back? I'm going to change my profile to when's Adam uh, coming It's only back. been like a half dozen, right? <laughs> Unless they're just excluding me on all of them. It's been. I've only seen like a half dozen. It's been many more than that. It's been many more. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'll instantly hate you, but it's okay. Uh, Adam, he was back. There you go. There's your answer. So I know it'll come back soon. No, it was good. I'm glad Adam came by uh, bringing some good stuff. But let's get right back into it. We've got six through ten here. I'm going to list them off. At six, we've got Carlos Carrasco, who we talked a lot about. Kenley Jansen at number seven, Liam Hendricks at eight. We've got Will Smith with no joke, no dad joke attached, number nine, and Taylor Rogers at number 10, top 10 in there. So outside of, or can you give me anything outside of the obvious that Carlos Carrasco in points, we already hit that, and Mm -hmm. he's a top 20, sometimes inside the top 15 starting pitcher that qualifies at relief pitching. That's what gives him the rank here, though. He he doesn't give us the closers. This is your points breakdown of a starting pitcher with RP eligibility. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of that's always a difficult thing to navigate between the two formats. Totally. I mean, Carlos Carrasco historically has been near ace level type starting pitcher, top 15 type. Very popular, like he's one of those popular guys over the last two or three years. That's been the guy where everyone labels taking the next step he's the guy everyone is ready that they are going to take the next step into the top five and it just hasn't happened yet it hasn't happened unforeseen circumstances maybe it never will but just as he is he's pretty good like he is easy number one in points league if he comes back from leukemia as strong as ever Uh, i I don't i don't really know how to assess that we don't have much of a, a history with that but downgrade him a little because of that we just don't know but if he is all the way back number one clearly in points and I think because you're talking about a near ace caliber pitcher, he'll probably show up number one on the Roto Raider too. Or, you know, depending on how many saves Hater gets, he might be one or two. So definitely a lot of upside for Carrasco. Uh, you're rolling the dice a little given his health situation, but could be worth it. I love myself a deal. I'm a big dumb idiot when it comes to deals. Like, I'll go on those websites, they're like, hey, look at this thing's on sale. Like, I go to this place called Deal News, and I'll just kind of like scroll through it, and I'll be like, ooh, that thing's on a deal. I think I've always needed that, even though I've never looked at it in my life. I should buy that. I get stuck in like a like a dummy sometimes, Scott, for deals. Nothing short in fantasy. When I see a deal, I just get kind of all you know jittery and excited. And that's what Kenley Jansen is this year. You have him at number seven. Number six is the closers. And he's a guy who has had the top end of closers ability. He gets great opportunity. Even when he struggled this year, the team stuck by him. Obviously, diminishing 
Um, diminishing ability is a concern, but the team is stuck by him. Wins are bountiful, which is opportunities bountiful, and I will get him probably at a better cost than I did even last year. I probably won't be able to help myself, but what say you? Do you remember how the Dodgers were eliminated from the postseason this year? Oh, no. Yeah, they had a guy on the mound. It was an extra innings, right? Um, Certainly the game was on the line. That guy wasn't Kenley Jansen. Jansen was available in the bullpen, but Dave Roberts didn't go to them. He stuck with Joe Kelly, which I think says a little bit about how the Dodgers are feeling about Kenley Jansen you these really days. You really think so? I thought that was just the epitome of horrible, horrible managerial skills. But to your point, I would throw on. out. I know, I know. But to Dave Roberts is has not been great. pretty good. Yeah. Oh, come Except on. recent, in the past. As a player, he was a great player. He stole that base <laughs> for the Red Sox. No, no I like, I've, I've enjoyed watching him manage over the years in the postseason. But, but to your point, I want to add, is we have seen the Dodgers attached for at least 18 months to them going out and acquiring major relief pitchers. And we'd all kind of be like, well, why? You have Kenley Jansen. And Kenley Jansen has been like, bring them all in. I'm the closer, but you can bring anybody in. So to your point, there is, I think there's more risk if you want to read the Joe Kelly situation, you want to take in that they've looked at other guys in the past, you could consider all those things, but his cost well, should be and just cheaper. the fact he hasn't been as good. Yeah. Okay. All of those now. things, but the same thing could have been said about like Clayton Kershaw, you know, his stuff started going down. He came at an ultimate cost, but a great team. He's a with great stuff. I know it's not a one for one and it could be a weird comparison, but I'm just saying, even though they're on the yeah. same team, this is a guy that it has been an absolute stud as a closer for a long time, though the results have diminished and they've stuck by him. I'm just going to get a discount. I'm going to get a discount of someone I, I can maybe think, get 35 plus saves. I, I don't think at the end, though, it's going to be a discount. You don't think so? Uh, he just had a 371 ERA this year yeah. with 11.4K per nine, which is pretty good. But, I mean, obviously, prime Kenley Jansen was like 14 per nine. The velocity on his cutter is down. He's given up a lot more home runs as a result. I think he's hanging by a thread as a okay. closer. I mean, he's going to be 32 next year. So, or he already is 32, actually. Turned 32 September 30th. So, uh so, yeah, I think he's hanging by a thread. And it, even if the Dodgers don't bring in someone else this offseason, I think there's a high probability they do. Uh, I think they'll have I think they'll have somebody who at least has closer potential to step in when it finally gets to be too much for Jansen. Yeah, I mean, the teams are not afraid to do it. You want a perfect example? Oakland A's with Liam Hendricks. They had Blake Trinan, who was a monster. He was a beast the, the last season. People were paying top, top price for him this year. And they went to Liam Hendricks and he was an absolute stud. But I think there is I think it's fair to have some concern with the team stick with him because there is a there's a past history, obviously trying to just kind of, you know, blew up and broke apart. But how comfortable are That's you with thing. Liam Hendricks keeping that job? I mean, my ranking here, the fact I have him eighth, based on his performance, he should be second or third. Right. Agreed. I mean, Agreed. he was the one reliever who I said, I said Josh Hader was as distant first in strikeouts. Hendricks was the only one in the ballpark. He had 124. It's a terrific number for a full time reliever. But like Trinan, he's this mid 30s. Uh, Trinan wasn't exactly a journeyman, but he was in his 30s and he'd never really shown closer stuff before. And then suddenly he does for the athletics. We all buy into it heading into 2019 and he reverts 
to Trine in a bold. It's a disaster. He ends up getting replaced by a guy who's doing similar things in Hendrix. And it's just kind of one of those fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me situation. I'm purposely downgrading him because we just saw this play out with Trine last year, and I don't want to be the dummy who falls for it again. It yeah. could be a great value. I, I think that's... Uh, I think the potential rewards there are greater for than for Jansen, but you know, he doesn't have the history Jansen does. And I think the athletics would move on from him. It wouldn't take much for them to do that. I think we're getting into a territory where you're going to hear a lot of the same narrative of maybe concern or, you know, um, the willingness to pay the cost. And, you know, Hendricks maybe kind of starts that maybe even Jansen to you, but what about guys like Will Smith and Taylor Rogers? Like I, I, I like you have a comparison on your write-up of Will Smith to uh, Brad Hand. You're making some comparisons there. But what comfortability level do you have with Rodgers or Will Smith? Because they seem, unless I'm getting a really good cost, which you know what? I probably am. I think you might be being pretty fair on their rankings compared to what preseason stuff is going to have. Unless I get a really good cost, I, they feel very trappy to me. Will Smith's ranking's going to change. This is one of those... Heading into the offseason, not knowing where he's going to wind up, what role his role is going to be. He's a free agent. So, you know, if he signs somewhere to close, he probably moves into my top five or maybe sixth at the position because I'm comfortable with him as a pitcher of being a uh, dominant late inning guy. But if he's not the ninth inning guy, then, you know, he probably drops out of my top 20 altogether. So we'll just have to wait and see how that goes. Taylor Rogers is going to be with the Twins, and I presume he's going to be the primary option for saves. I just don't know if he's going to be the sole option for saves because it took so long for them to come around to him as uh, as their first choice for the ninth inning. Remember, they were going with Blake Parker early this season, even though it was clear. Taylor Rogers, ratio-wise, their best pitcher. Even uh, Even after the trade deadline when they brought in Sergio Romo and Sam Dyson, they gave those guys some looks in the closer role. Rogers ended up getting the vast majority of the saves thereafter, but it still wasn't crystal clear. Like he's our closer, and I don't know. I don't think it is that either. he ever will. Be. No, I, I mean, and I and just, I don't. I, I think they've been attached to relief pitching for forever. It seems like they're always trying to get the big guy. They were attached to guys like Edwin Diaz. I think it's going to be a concerted effort in the offseason to try to bring in. Uh, a big time arm. I don't know who that is. And if they don't end up making it work, what does it matter? But he's one of those guys we, we need to watch to see if that happens. Yes, we need to watch. We need to see what the twins do. Certainly if they bring in Will Smith (laughs) or uh, who's the top free agent reliever. Otherwise, I mean, it could be some trade targets, but, um, yeah, I think the most obvious free agent relievers, Will Smith. Well, and the twins too have just such an absolutely, just bonker system of high end prospects like to the to the level if they wanted to go and try to acquire a big name maybe they wanted to get an Edwin Diaz um if he were still yep. you know available or something like that yeah I don't uh, think he will be but yeah. yeah if they did they've got the ability from you know the Royce Lewis and Alex Kirilov and moving down pitching Bruce Dark Ratterall they, like they've got the power to go make that move and I feel like they're going to make that move this offseason. This is the push for the Minnesota Twins. I think they're going to move one of their top big three prospects in some type of a trade, and I think it'll be around a bullpen arm. Yeah, I don't know. It's speculative. I don't know. I mean, maybe Brad Hand, but that's another lefty. Uh, It's like we talked about it, probably going to be, based on what the Padres owners say in this offseason, 
season. Kirby Yates probably isn't going to be available anymore. It doesn't sound like Edwin Diaz is going to be available. So I don't even, like, can Giles, would the Blue Jays shop him? I'm kind of spoiling a few names down on my list. But they could. Uh, the other point I wanted to make for Taylor Rogers. okay, so starts out 2019. He's not the primary option for saves, right? He's kind of sharing it with Blake uh, Blake Parker, and and it takes a long time for him to emerge as the Twins' primary source there. And yet he was one of the 11, only 11 relievers to finish with 30 saves. So, I, I mean, the the expectations for a good save season has fallen to a point where you don't necessarily have to be full-time guy. You just need to be the primary guy in some kind of committee. And uh, if it's for a good team, you still have a good chance of getting a good saves total. Yeah, well, I mean, I would even throw out Ian Kennedy had the exact same amount of saves. He had 30 saves, and he was with the Royals. So it, it just pushes opportunity. Alex Colomay and Kennedy were two guys you wouldn't have banked on. They had the exact same amount of saves as Taylor Rogers. Now, maybe more of a you know, a push to Taylor Rogers for taking, you know, the opportunity that were given to him in short spurts where those guys were the closers the whole season. Yeah. But well, opportunity. Yeah. It took a while for Kennedy to get there. Although Colomay, I do, I, I will say there was some uncertainty between him and Kelvin Herrera, I guess for I most of wrong. draft prep season. I picked wrong. Yeah. I went the other way. Yeah. But I mean, Herrera was hurt at the start of the year and yeah. I don't know. I, I had a feeling Colomay was just going to take it and, not look back because there wasn't much of a difference between him and Herrera in terms of skill level. Yeah. And that was where you're, you know, you're fishing at the bottom of the barrel for, uh, for saves right. there. Uh, let's take one more quick break and then we're going to go through the top 10, a couple really interesting names in here to dissect. So little break here on fantasy baseball today. The all new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together. And nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. All right, 11 through 15. We start with Jesus Lazardo, who, just jumping ahead, similar Carlos Carrasco treatment, I imagine, as a starting pitcher uh, in a relief uh, spot. Craig Kimbrell at 12. Edwin Diaz at 13. Ken Giles at 14. And Brandon Workman at 15. What a list. And um, I don't want to jump ahead of Jesus Lazardo. If you have comments on it, please do. But Craig Kimbrell and Edwin Diaz absolutely fly off this list into my face when I see them ranked in the teens as a closer because of the name value. And Kimbrell is such an interesting case because he's got a full season coming ahead of him now. Okay. So, first of all. <laughs> this was you getting forward. You remember that meme we've talked about where it's like, oh, this means business. I'm going to go forward in my chair for the video game. Scott just got ready. He's like, all right. Let's go. I mentioned at the top that there are nine relievers I feel comfortable with that I expect they'll be closing for their teams and they have good enough ratios to stick in the role. And even among those nine, we raised some concerns, right? Yes. Well, we've already gone through the nine now. We've gone through Hayter, Yates, Hand, Aroldis Chapman, Roberto Ozuna, Kenley Jansen, Liam Hendricks, Will Smith, 
Taylor Rogers. So I'm being kind of generous there because we don't know what role Will Smith's going to have. Brad Hand could get traded into some role. Uh, we talked about Kenley Jansen's concerns, Liam Hendricks' concerns. But still, I mean, just in theory, they have good enough ratios and they don't really have competition for their roles. Uh, now's where it gets kind of kind of it, it becomes kind of a guessing game. I'm intrigued that you're saying you don't feel confident Craig Kimbrell has that role with the Cubs all season. Well, what just happened to Craig Kimbrell? Yeah. And why? I mean, it was it was pretty disastrous, right? The half season. I mean, he was on the IL a couple times, so it didn't end up being a half season's worth of appearances, but it wasn't good. Okay. And I mean, you, may, you also was don't down for a second straight season. He gave up a ton of home runs. You you don't attribute anything to the wackoness season that was not signing, coming in late, and then having some injuries. I mean, the amount of players. Just to throw this out, I am baffled sometimes. And this was an eye opening year in the fall league for me. The amount of interviews I did, and I interviewed tons of great prospects. I actually wish I would have interviewed more pitchers because this might hold more weight. The amount of guys that said an an a start to the season, not with their team, whether it was a small injury or big, the amount that set them on a tailspin down was incredible to me. From Royce Lewis to Joe Adele, these guys saying how, you know, you starting the year off and you having to spend your time in the majors as your spring training can throw a player off. There's a part of me that wants to give the benefit of the doubt to Kimbrell to being what was a crazy season. Now, he's a oh. veteran, and I would hope that you could get past that, but I'm right. attributing some of this to it. I think that could be totally it or it could be none of it. You know, it's <laughs> yeah, just yeah, yeah. it's just a total guess. And considering there were concerns, I mean, the reason he didn't get a big free agent deal this offseason is because he was showing some signs of decline that last year with the Red Sox. Now, nothing like this, nothing like what he just did with the Cubs. But people uh, also didn't want to pay a closer $100 million. But yeah, I I think it was both of those reasons. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not disputing you. I, I agree. I think it's it's also the the amount that teams, unfortunately, closers. I feel like in close uh, in baseball, closers are treated similar to how running backs are in football, where you know it's committees. These guys break down. It's lifespan. There's only a certain amount of time. That type of stuff. You just don't see. I don't know. You don't see the benefit of the doubt given to the closers or big contract money outside of what you know, maybe three years. 60 million, yeah. something like that. I mean, and the fact that they committed three years to Kimbrell, the Cubs did. I mean, it means they have to begin next year with him in the closer role. But I mean, look how look how quickly the Cardinals moved on from Greg Holland, who had a similar track record uh, when it became pretty clear that he was done. I mean, they, Greg Holland, I mean, not they, a Hall of Fame they closer. They kicked him off yeah. the roster. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, not as... Not as long of a track record, I guess, as Kimbrell, but when Holland was at peak form and he was just a couple, I mean, he looked basically the same that prior year with the Rockies, not to get too deep into it. He looked like he was back to uh, to peak form. He was as good as Kimbrell at peak form. My Kimbrell, so, my Kimbrell situation is kind of like Jansen. I mean, these are guys that you go, I mean, I would I would hate to see the Cubs blow it all up, of course, which they're not going to do. But, you know, you you give me a, a team that is going to be in it, in the thick of it, that is going to give opportunities to the closer. And if there is a track record, I'm going to not be able to help it. I'm going to own shares of Craig Kimbrell again this season because I'm going to probably get a pretty good cost. He was off on the two early mocks uh, that we've referenced as the ninth closer. Around 150 was the ADP. That's probably where I'm going to start dancing. It 
depends what the price ends up being. Yes, yeah. because I mean, if you're presuming, okay, the chances are at least 33%, if not 50%, that whoever I'm drafting to get saves won't actually end up getting them in the long run, then maybe Kimbrell isn't riskier than anybody else. And obviously, uh, you if he does bounce back, there's huge strikeout potential. There's top five closer potential. Not so, riskier than Edwin Diaz, the guy next to him, right? Well, that's why I rank him ahead of Diaz. That's yeah. right. Diaz. But do you see the, the same risk? Diaz, the case of Diaz, we already know whose replacement would be if it doesn't work out. And I don't think it's 100% certain Diaz will be the guy at the start of next year. I would assume so, given what they paid for him in a trade. But we'd have know, to see allegiance, with, an allegiance with new management, you know, bringing in a new manager and everything like that. We'll see how that's going to play out. You know, do they right. different philosophy? You know, you never know. We're going to have to see how that works. Yeah. But Seth Lugo did finish the year as the Mets closer and did perfectly fine in the role. Had a great year. Adam brought him up as a good ratio guy. And uh, obviously, if he's getting saves on top of that, then fine. I, I will mention that Edwin Diaz, you know, he wasn't coming off a season where he was the number one best closer. And so he didn't have quite the same hype going into 2017 but there were high expectations for him going into 2017 and it was pretty disappointing then too and then bounced back with that huge 2018 season that made him the top closer off the board so if he can bounce back once he can do it again do you believe that'll happen i mean i already know i can't ask you do you think he's going to bounce back because you already stated that this is where the questions start but like mm -hmm. are you willing to bank are you willing to invest that he can get it right this year it's pretty clear to me given the velocity, given that he had 15.4K per nine, uh, you know, it's it's not a health situation. It's not really a declining situation for Edwin Diaz, who's in his mid-20s. It's, it's it, one or the other, or maybe both, an issue of the slider not quite breaking like he's used to and going to need to rediscover that. And a lot of it might just be misfortune bad luck you know i still think there's the stuff of an elite closer there yeah so i wouldn't go better than 50 50 on his chances i don't think maybe as high as 60 40 but it's obviously a risk at this point and the risk might be worth the reward we'll have to see especially it's always yeah. based on cost and where the runs go uh, 14, you had Ken Giles, 15, Brandon Workman. I'm going to just throw out the rest of the guys and then any ones you want to bring notes on. Uh, Emilio Pagan is at 16. Interesting. I think someone tweeted us. They're like, I want Emilio Pagan and Edwin Diaz talked about. There you go. Uh, Carlos Martinez at 17 was in the closers role. I still believe this guy's a starting pitcher. I love Carlos Martinez and I wish he'd get that opportunity. Uh, Mark Melanson at 18, Sean Doolittle at 19 and Hector Neris at 20. So what do you have for us? Who uh, who sparks your fancy here? I mean, your ranks your ranks are showing us a lot. I mean, Emilio Pagan at 16 feels right. I have a hard time believing in or paying for a guy like Mark Melanson that he can hold it because I actually, I just don't believe when the, the Braves start the season, he's going to be the closer. And um, Hector Neris and Sean Doolittle seem like good cost guys a little bit lower. That's interesting. Uh, are, so we're starting here with Giles. Anywhere you want. I I, uh, I kind of threw them all out here. You Please, you throw out whatever you want. Ken Giles was at 14. We didn't give him a lot of love. Brandon Workman, yeah. who, you know, again, I think the same statement that I made about um, Mark Melanson, I would feel about Workman. I just don't feel like these 
teams are going to bank on these guys to be their closers. So I think those are a little bit volatile, but you yep. jump to where you think is important to talk about here as we've now given everybody your top 20. So this back seven, beginning with Ken Giles at 14. Yes, sir. So Giles, Brandon Workman, Emilio Pagan, Carlos Martinez, Mark Melanson, Sean Doodle, Hector Neris. I'm not sure any of them are going to be their team's closer at the start of next year. The two I'm most confident will be are Giles and actually Melanson. Oh, I was going to say Doolittle. Doolittle was on the tip of my tongue. Really? You are that confident in Mark Melanson? That's those words I I've think never the Braves are that confident in Mark Melanson because really? you'll remember they traded for Shane Green, an all-star closer, and Mark Melanson on the same day. Also, uh, Chris Martin of the Rangers. All three guys who have either some experience as closer or show the potential to be a closer in Chris Martin's case. And uh, even though Shane Green was the guy having the best year, Mark Melanson, pretty much from the get-go, they gave Green the first two save chances and he happened to blow both. But then Mark Melanson had some struggles early too. They stuck with Melanson. They didn't go back to Green. So that, and the fact that they ate Melanson's entire contract, they gave up something to get him, agreeing to pay him $14 million next year. I think suggests that they feel like he was back to form. Uh, in the second half, Melanson had a 293 ERA, 0.95 whip, and 10K per nine. I mean, that was pretty much prime Melanson. He is elite in, ter- in, in preventing walks and preventing home runs. Really high ground ball rate. So I think he might be back. Now, in today's reliever landscape, is that as valuable as he was in his glory days with the Pirates? Maybe not. And the fact that, you know, he has that bumpy history with the Giants specifically. You wouldn't want to invest too big in him. But if he is the closer for the Braves, I think he's going to be a nice buy here at 18 at relief pitcher. Giles finally had the dominant season everybody was hoping he had. Going, kind of jumping back to 14 now. But it was for the Blue Jays and they were terrible. They lost 100 games, right? Sounds about and, right. And, uh... So he spent a couple stints on the IL, but I, I don't think it would have led to a big saves total even if he didn't. It's not like his replacements got a lot of saves. There's a chance he gets traded, and maybe that is reason to move him way up the rankings, but or for no. now I'm going to have him behind Kimbrell and Diaz because I expect him to be with the Blue Jays again. Ken Giles is exactly the type of guy that I could see the Dodgers acquiring and then just sitting behind Kenley Jansen and making everybody feel uncomfortable. Everybody in yep. all together feels uncomfortable about this. Um, do you have any other notes? Because I do want to ask you about a guy that's not on this list uh, as we're closing out the show here. Um, obviously, you could you know you could go on and talk about all of them. Do you feel? How about Emilio Pagan for a second? Do you feel confident in Emilio Pagan once he was handed the job? Did well, but you know how the Rays are. I mean, coming into this mm-hmm. year with um, that's just completely drawing a blank. Who is our guy coming in this year? I had a song for him. Who is the closer coming in for the Rays this this year? Coming in for the Rays was Alvarado. Yes, Alvarado. Why yeah, don't Jose you Alvarado. save many games? You've been <laughs> out blowing leads. Yeah, so Alvarado. So we know that they're very yeah. willing to pull the trigger off of well, him. So do you feel Emilio Pagan has enough to stick? Uh, if I did, he'd rank much higher than this. I, I think he could stick. I think it was clear when he took over, he was the Rays' best reliever. But I think it's clear now he's not the Rays' best reliever because Nick Anderson's there, you know? Yeah. And uh, 
I mean, in terms of strikeouts and walks, Pagan's right up there with any closer. Very vulnerable to the long ball. That's especially dangerous in this environment. And he actually had nine blown saves this year. I know a lot of those came before he was the closer, but still, uh, nine blown saves, when you're doing a total versus a percentage for blown saves, I don't think that matters so much what role you happen to be filling at the time. And I think it's uh, very important, and I'm glad that you mentioned that your rank is relative to your concern and that's where some of these guys all they they all all kind of sit so let me ask you about this guy and if you have any closing thoughts and anybody else throw it in but this is a guy i alluded to earlier in the episode and i'm kind of surprised didn't make the top 20 because he had the fifth most saves or tied for the fifth most saves last year it's rysel iglesias with the reds now zra was a bit inflated it was in the fours he had 89 strikeouts in 67 innings 34 saves with a one two two whip the reason i bring it up though is the Reds have the addition, and forgive me if I'm saying his last name incorrect, but they brought in uh, the founder of Driveline, Kyle Bodie. I want to say, is it Bodie? Do you know? Am I saying it incorrect? I feel horrible if I'm saying it incorrect. I don't. Incorrect. I haven't said the name before. I know okay. who you're talking about. You know who I'm talking about. So they yeah. brought uh, they they brought Driveline in, and we obviously know Bauer's association with them, who happens to be with the Reds. And Kyle is now the pitching coordinator for the Reds. It's actually right down the street from me right now because the Goodyear ballpark is here and he is out here working with some of the pitchers. Now, it might be very narrative-based that I'm I'm bringing this up, but you bring a guy like like Kyle in with driveline, so analytically driven, bring him in in part of the organization with Bauer. I feel that could do wonders for the team around the board. And Rysel Iglesias is not someone that I'm going to not put a part of that narrative. If if you're comfortable with saying the starting pitchers are going to benefit from it, why wouldn't Rysel Iglesias that he can fix some of those ERA issues? He can fix some of those problems and he's already saving games. So if they do fix it, more opportunities given to Rysel Iglesias and he can fix his own problems. If you had 38 to 40 saves and a, a low three ERA or a high two ERA, Rysel Iglesias would be a top three closer. So I'm a little narrative base driven on this one, but I'm going to own shares of Rysel Iglesias this year, but he didn't make your top 20. Well, historically, his strikeout rate is closer to the Roberto Ozuna 10.1 than uh, he was actually at 12 per nine last year. Iglesias was, but you know, historically, he's been kind of on the low side for a closer, but without all the other things, Ozuna does well. So over the last two years, Iglesias has a 408 FIP. The ERA is lower. But I think he had good luck, particularly in that 2018 season. It caught up to him this past year, and so we saw a lot of saves go to uh, um, Michael Lorenzen instead. You know, maybe maybe that'll be the cause of a breakout for Iglesias. Part of what you have to keep in mind with the rankings at this point, and this is maybe should have been something we brought up at the very beginning, but because this position is so... Uh, dependent on the guy occupying that one spot in the bullpen that gets the saves, and because any number of things could change that. I rank these guys, for the most part, as if they're going to be closing. We find out, you know, the Red Sox bring in somebody, they trade for Ken Giles, and Brandon Workman is no longer the first option for saves there. Obviously, he drops behind Iglesias. Uh, Sean Doolittle... You know, if the Nationals bring back Daniel Hudson, who's a free agent, and we go into next year thinking he and Doolittle are going to split saves, then Doolittle drops out of the top 20 and behind Iglesias. Carlos Martinez, if he's moving back to the rotation for the Cardinals instead of closing, he drops out of the top 20. 
or actually he probably moves up the top 20 because it'll be another one of those great sparps. But uh, regardless, you get what I'm saying. I mean, we know we have a pretty good idea. Iglesias is going to be closing for the Reds next year, despite some interference from Michael Lorenzen. And um, I, if you want, I, I just don't see provided these guys are actually closing as I've ranked them. I just don't see the reason to presume he has the kind of upside that they're already showing. I mean, if, if Pagan's the race closer, I'll take those ratios over Iglesias's. Yeah, I, I suppose. I mean, I'm I'm with you on those. And it, 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 some of the conversation is very like it's it's forward moving and like, you know, with the Rays, with the Pagan specifically, you're right. If it's almost, you know what it feels like? It feels like projections. Like if you're talking about projections and she's like, he's a closer, you know, or in basketball per 36, you know, the 162s. If he's the closer, you're right. But that's not necessarily the case with the Rays. The Rays have implemented a committee situation. They haven't got so like. That's a little bit of a narrative you have to attach to Emilio Pagan. And I've just attached my other side to Rysel Iglesias, who also got a ton of saves this year. 34 plus. That's more than Emilio yeah, Pagan. That's and, fair. So you know what I'm getting at? But like, they're both narrative driven. You're saying the stuff is better with Pagan. And if given the opportunity to be the full on guy, he would rock. I feel like I would hold me personally. I would hold my narrative of he gets saves and opportunities with the added very, very analytical approach to the Reds pitching organization moving forward, I would hold that stronger in my eyes to the hope that Emilio Pagan is the closer the entire season. But that's, you know, that, that's I, yeah, drafted I saves, that. folks. Part of it is I'm just convinced, and again, maybe their new Reds new pitching coordinator will fix it, but I'm convinced Iglesias is not a very good closer. And came pretty close to losing his job this year. So I don't know. Well, I don't see the Reds turning to a committee the way the Rays do. I don't know that Iglesias' job security is that much better than Pagan's. Probably a little bit, but not enough to make up for that difference in ratio. Uh, you know, he lost 12 games this year as a closer, Iglesias did. And that 416 ERA, I think, is closer to what he deserved than the 238 ERA he put up in 2018. And the same philosophy that I'm building could also make the team more comfortable with creating their own new closers, you know, turning starting pitchers or relievers, finding new stuff. The narratives move both ways. It is such a fickle situation. The closers are how you draft them, where you draft them and who you're actually drafting. And hopefully we gave you some type of clarity as Scott went through, you know, what the top eight really feels like or nine, the guys that you would really lock into where the questions are. But we all kind of stood the same, Adam, myself and Scott, that we don't want to pay high prices on closers this year. We'll let the other people do that. But there's plenty of plenty of good stuff to get into. And folks, that ends our 2020 early, early rank series. It's a it's a, it's not even a Kokomo Friday, but it's a Kokomo ranks as we end this baby out and finalize all of it. How much movement do you think you're going to see after doing all your ranks now that we're done? Do you foresee a whole bunch of movement as 2020 approaches? Like, have you been oh, able yeah. to look down on all of it and go, yeah, here's some big changes I got to make? I've already made some changes. I've now put together my top 600s, one for Roto Leagues, one for points, and already made some changes therein. Obviously, as player movement happens this offseason, particularly with this position, there are going to be even more changes to come. And uh, as I draft more and see what other people are doing, there are going to be changes based on that. Maybe I find out I am unwittingly high on a guy that I don't really want to be that high on. Relative. I keep drafting him over and over again. I don't really like him that much. What is happening? 
and I'll decide to lower him based on that or the other way. I, um, you know, I find out I keep missing out on a guy who I really do like, and maybe I just need to catch up with the consensus. That's right. Well, that's why we get to the practice and we will bring you all of those results, whatever they are, the new ranks and all the stuff that we find. That's what we got going for you. Uh, it's not over, too, by the way. We still got episodes. We're going to be dropping at least one every single uh, week during November. So don't you go anywhere because uh, we got you covered here. But we are out of here for now. Hope you guys enjoyed the 2020 Ranks Preview Series. And uh, thank you guys for letting me be a part of it. That was fun stuff. Until next time, friendos, we will see you guys next week right here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Let's Kokomo out of here.